Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. You don't think that it's time that somebody cared enough to have a dream? Why are you getting so upset? This is not about you. Yes, it is. You are a human affront to all women, and I am a woman. At some point, you got to decide for yourself who you are. Can't let nobody make that decision for you. How do you go about getting an exorcism? I beg your pardon? Hi, this is Mark Kermode. Thanks for downloading this Kermode on Film podcast. Now, if you're a regular listener, you'll know that my monthly MK3D shows recently returned to their natural home, the BFI South Bank. We've been away for more than a year, but it was great to be back live in that wonderful auditorium. For our first live show back, we had two terrific guests. Intimacy coordinator Ita O'Brien. You could hear my conversation with her on last week's Kermit on Film podcast. But this week, we're going to concentrate on my second guest, the brilliant Edgar Wright, talking about his forthcoming film, Last Night in Soho, and his new Sparks documentary, The Sparks Brothers. So sit back and enjoy a front row seat for MK3D Part 2 and say hello to the great Edgar Wright. Uh, so this was a question that came from Scarebear about one of the films that I've seen since cinemas reopened that I've really, really enjoyed. He says, for me, uh, the things that he's enjoyed the most, or maybe she, uh, is uh, Another Round, which I... Did you, did you all see Another Round? Don't answer. Not allowed to. Sorry. Put your hands up if you all saw Another Round. Wave them around if you thought it was fabulous. Yeah, it's absolutely brilliant. Cruella, which I thought was kind of okay. Um, the best thing that I've... The thing I've been most excited by seeing in the cinema is I went to see In the Earth, which is the, the Ben Wheatley film, which I saw on a great big screen at the Harbour Lights in Southampton, which was absolutely brilliant, and I loved it, and I just thought it was fabulous and exciting and mad and crazy and like a kind of, you know, companion piece uh, to a field in England, and I thought it was wonderful. I don't know if anybody went to see it, but if you get a chance to see it on a big screen, do. Um, but this, uh, this question from Scare Bear ends with... I cannot wait to see Last Night in Soho, which I am hugely looking forward to. I'm also hugely looking forward to the release of a new documentary about Sparks, one of the most remarkable bands of all time. Both of them are directed by the great Edgar Wright. Please welcome to MK3D, Edgar Wright! Edgar, before you uh, say anything, I'm going to show the trailer for the Sparks doc, partly because I think the trailer brilliantly sets up the documentary, and partly because if you're, if you're not a Sparks aficionado, you do sometimes look at Sparks and think, somebody must have made this up, because <laughs> none of this can be true. So this is the trailer. Throughout all the years that I've been making music, if you get on a tour bus with a bunch of musicians... Eventually, the conversation will go to Sparks. I remember just seeing them all the time, like, who are those guys? They are a band who you can look up on Wikipedia and know nothing. We are Sparks. Dude. Oh, dude. 
Please welcome Sparks. Sparks. Frequently asked questions about Sparks. How many albums are there? 25 albums. Are you brothers? We are brothers. How did you first meet? We are brothers. Music at its best, you hear it and you go, oh my God, what is that? It's insane, but it's fantastic. Each time you'd go to the rehearsal, there'd be something new there. Like, that's good. It wasn't like anything else. All pop music is rearranged sparks. That's the truth. There are throwaway riffs that other bands have built whole careers out of. One of my favorite moments is John Lennon ringing up Ringo Starr. You won't believe what's on the television. It was the sound of the future. Sparks is way more prolific than all of the artists we consider to be the greatest in the world. They sort of set a template. That a Beatle would pretend to be Ron. That's amazing. They were taking all their creative juices and putting it into something that they loved. They were a bit much for most people. The culture just wasn't there yet. Is there anybody out there at all right now? They've reinvented themselves several times. The thing that marked them was their unwillingness to give up. That sounds like the scene from our biopic. <laughs> our time has come. Here we are. They may have given birth to other bands who don't even know that the lineage goes back to them. Still are waiting to get paid back for that. Why have you resisted doing a documentary until now? We didn't want to do the standard documentary full of talking heads. It would become too dry. <laughs> okay. So, so get us up to speed. So when did you first get the Sparks bug? How old are you? I'm 47, and the first time I saw them was on top of the pops when I was like five. I was t I'm too young to remember this town ain't big enough for the both of us being on top of the pops. Child. But I was, fi I was five when uh, Beat the Clock was on top of the pops. And you know, like I think, I think even then, like when you're just kind of like watching, you know, when, you, when you're that age and stuff, you only, you only know about a band by what's on top of the pops and what might be on the radio on Saturday Superstore or whatever. Yeah. But, you know, even Sparks then, like, when they're sandwiched between, like, ABBA and the Wombles or something, <laughs> it's quite a diverting proposition. These two people, like, staring at you. Like, um, you know, so I, I, I remember, like, sort of, I remember, like, sort of the image very clearly. And then my parents, although they have no recollection of this, because I talked to them about it the other day, used to buy these, like, KTEL or Ronco chart yeah. compilations. Yeah. And I had me and my brother had two of them, which both had Sparks tracks on them, Beat the Clock, and then I had another one with When I'm With You on it. And in a pre-internet age, where like younger people don't know how lucky they are to have an entire discography at their fingertips, but back then- Kids today, don't that, know they're bald. That might, you might not know anything more about them for like years. So like somebody like Sparks or a band that just kept coming back into my life because I maybe didn't hear of them again until I was a teenager and I was listening to a lot of like Roxy Music and David Bowie and Queen and T-Rex and then occasionally Spark songs would crop up on compilations. I'd be like, huh, is that the same Sparks that did Beat the Clock? And uh, you know, it's the same voice but it's a different genre. Yeah. And then, and then again, they didn't come back into my life until the mid-90s 
when they had When Do I Get to Sing My Way, which was like a big radio hit, and they were on lots of TV shows. And I'm looking at thinking, these are the Beat the Clock guys. Where have they been for 15 years? Like, you know, and, and it wasn't really until like this century and like sort of where they started to kind of like, from like sort of 2003 onwards, you know, they've been bringing out an album every two years that have been really ambitious, really great. It's like anybody who's a Sparks fan knows that the, the recent stuff is as great as the 70s stuff. And, and I think sort of through that process of turning from like a fan to being like a proper obsessive stroke evangelist for the band, I was just sort of confounded that this was even possible because most other bands who are in their fifth decade are sort of just doing an elongated greatest hits tour. Yeah. Even if they do have new albums out, you know, when you go and see the Rolling Stones or the Who, don't, people don't want to hear the new ones. They want to hear all the old ones. But Sparks would always be like new material, new material, new material, pushing new material on TV and radio. And then they did that. They did a tour in which they did 25 days, in which they played a different album every night and yeah. had to rehearse a different album, each album not sounding anything like the previous album, over a... Which is nuts. Nobody in their right mind would do that. You'd go out and do the Tony Hadley Greatest Hits tour. It's easy, right? You know, that's it, you know. No, I mean, in the documentary, we cover that. They did it. Maybe some people in the audience even went. It was at Islington Academy in 2008, and they did 21 albums every, in successive nights. So then you did one the album each... They did 21 nights and did 21 albums on consecutive nights. nights. And I think once it was, it's kind of like a classic Sparks thing to do is that they're sort of like, you know, kind of everything is quite sort of maybe like over ambitious sometimes, but once they'd said it out loud, they had to do it. And in the documentary, they say never to be repeated because it was just a, a really punishing test of short and long term. Memory, you know, is I, I love the documentary. I'm going to be just going to show another clip just to kind of get people in the, in the Sparks mood. Because again, Sparks are a band you can't describe. I remember first seeing them on television doing This Town Ain't Big Enough for the Both of Us. Incidentally, in the documentary, uh, you do point out quite rightly that because people thought they were British and they turned out to be American, that did give the Rubettes their, their first gig on Top of the Pops. You're very dismissive of that. I love the Rubettes, but I'm going to forgive you for that because I love the rest of the documentary. One, one person in the documentary, Chris Differed from Squeeze. Yeah, Chris Differed stands up for them, but you know, I, you didn't pull me in to say, excuse me, Sugar Baby Love is actually arguably one of the greatest pop records ever made, but that's a whole... Thank you very much, thank you. But that's a whole other business. Here is a clip uh, from... It, this is just get you in the Sparks mood. Something that's always kind of confounded me in popular music is people's inability to take humor seriously. And I think that's one of the things, like, why a band like Sparks isn't as big as the biggest bands in the world. Because they're fucking funny. Looks, looks, looks. You had sense, you had style, you had cash galore. A lot of critics and some fans uh, sometimes denigrate bands that show their sense of humor. Like, oh, it's a comedy band, it's a joke band. I just don't get that. I don't know why it has to be so stinking serious. I thought it was going to be a smash hit album because it was so different. And anyone could see that we spent hours of work and put detail in it. And the songs were so great. And Russell's singing was amazing. The world just didn't agree with us, you know. It did well, but not that well. We were so irate, just lack of acceptance for what we thought was an amazing album that we were seriously considering recording Louie Louie as our next single, you know, just for spite. 
the quote that we hear in the trailer, which I th- believe is apocryphal, is that John Lennon rang, uh, was it, is he ring McCartney and said, Ringing Ringo Starr, rang yeah. Ringo and said, you won't believe what's on. Hitler is, uh, Hitler is on the telly playing with Mark Boland. <laughs> <laughs> and one of the things that the doc does brilliantly is try to unpack what that image was. But Hitler playing with Mark Boland is, in the early 70s, what it looked like. The thing that I was amazed by is all the stuff before that that I knew nothing about. All the stuff about you know, where they'd come from, the experimental stuff that they'd come out of. Were you surprised by what you discovered about Sparks making the doc? Well, I, I had gotten to know them a couple of years before I even like, said out loud the idea of doing it. And I think sort Wait, of... Mates. Well, so I'll tell you the story of how I met them because it's funny in its own right, is that, so like I said, you know, I'd become like a full-on Sparks evangelist in terms of like anybody within like, you know, kind of like my earshot would be like, have you, have you ever heard Sparks? And, and it was one of those days where I was, I was writing on Baby Driver actually, and my friend came in to sort of like be like a sounding board for the day and we ended up just listening to Sparks all day. And, um, you know, he'd, he only knew one song. And I said, oh, my God, you've got to hear this album. And, like, you know, just kind of commanding the stereo. Anyway, so we're listening to lots of Sparks, and he's really loving it. And I, I sort of wonder aloud. And also, they're a very enigmatic band. And before you meet them, much like somebody like David Bowie or Kate Bush, you don't even imagine they exist on planet Earth. Yeah. You know, they're like pop, they're enigmatic rock stars from another planet. And so I just thought, oh, I wonder if Sparks are on Twitter. And I found their profile page, and it said, Sparks follows you. And I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> like, so I immediately I felt a dummy for not following them in the first place. So A, I followed them, and B, messaged them immediately. And I said, hey, is this really the band? Uh, I'm such a huge fan. And Russell, the lead singer, replied and said, yeah, this is Russell. We're big fans of your movies. And they're like, where, do you, where are you based? I said, oh, I'm in Los Angeles right now. We live in Los Angeles. I said, oh, we should get coffee. And they're like, how's Tuesday? So then, like, <laughs> 32... Is that literally what happened? Yeah, and, like, 32 hours later, I was sitting with them. And what's, you know, and this maybe comes across in the documentary, what's sort of weird about it is how not weird they are. But that in itself is really weird. <laughs> <laughs> you know, they're so, like, down to earth. And then very quickly, the sort of conversation sort of turned to films and stuff. And, and as you've seen, as you'll see in the documentary... They're like massive film nuts, and, and, and actually they studied. So I think some of that I started to get an idea about it, and then in researching it, I was sort of aware. I mean, that's the, that's the irony, is that if this documentary changes anything, at least in the States, is that like Americans are aware that like LA's rock royalty has been there the whole time. Because a lot of people in the States just assume they were a British band, and because they broke through in the UK first, like on top of the pops yeah. with the island records, when they then went back to tour in the States next, it would say, you know, like, Britain's hit makers, Sparks, like an L.A. band, you know. And, and that's the funny... So I think there's a lot of kind of conundrums about them. And one of them is because they, were like, sort of grew up in, in L.A. Um, and were obviously on the scene as sort of teenagers into their early 20s in the kind of the summer of love and in the midst of all the bands like The Doors and Love and all of those amazing bands playing like the Whiskey A Go-Go and the Mothers of Invention and, you know. But they liked all of the quirky British bands. And so what they were into was like Sid Barrett-era Pink Floyd and the Kinks and the Who at their most idiosyncratic. And that was the stuff they aspired to be like those bands. So then they're a bit of an anomaly in LA because they're this kind of like Anglophile, like sort of kooky art rock band 
in the middle of all the kind of like the LA cock rock of the time, if, if you can, yeah. <laughs> that's the expression, yeah, yeah. I guess. Yeah, well, <laughs> like, so, so it was that thing where they had two albums out on Warners, the first one produced by Todd Rundgren, who we interview in the movie, yeah. and who I actually got to reunite with Ron and Russell for the first time in 47 years. No. They had not seen each other for 47 years and I got to reunite them. Which is not in the movie, but it was. I just say, I am so enjoying how much you're smiling. (laughs) You were, I mean, the whole thing was like, you know, just a pleasure in a way, because like to sort of do something like this and and it be so far reaching in terms of, you know, I interviewed 80 people for the documentary and and, and so many musicians that I love and many of whom I'd never met before. So it was just, just a pleasure, really. 
<laughs> and I have to kind of like decode it because also like a song like Amateur Hour yeah. which was a top 10 hit and on Radio 1 all the time is, is a pretty filthy song <laughs> and I'm sure the DJs playing it aren't thinking wait what is he actually singing about <laughs> so there's a lot of so it's, it's, it is that thing where I think that the, the lyrics are sort of like a lot of times to be decoded and, and, and until I did the documentary I'd never really stopped to analyze the lyrics of This Town Ain't Big Enough for both of us but when you do it's kind of amazing and it's funny actually it's funny you say that because we there's one bit it's not in the film but it's going to be on the blu-ray we filmed them in japan doing a karaoke machine had this town ain't big enough for both of us on it so i got russell to sing it in karaoke <laughs> and ron was there and i filmed them doing it and the whole band came and one and the bass player who'd been touring them for three years who was looking at the screen he goes I've never, I've never read the lyrics of this song before. <laughs> and he goes, he goes, it starts talking about cannibals needing extra protein. He goes, I never, because I've played this song a million times and never stopped to think what the lyrics were. I, I, I absolutely love the doc, not least because the amount of enthusiasm. I mean, it kind of. There were times I was watching it thinking you could almost imagine this was a fictional band because it, you can't imagine that all of this actually happened. What's the most remarkable thing that you, that you found making that documentary other than the great miasma of people that love Sparks? Well, I think there's things where there's kind of like near, near misses with things where there's like, you know, an alternate history where things nearly happened but didn't like... There's a whole sort of B plot in the movie, which has a happy ending tomorrow night, it where does. they tried to get films off the ground. And the first one in 1975, and there's a photo of them all together, it was that Jacques Tati wanted to make a film with Sparks called Confusion. Yeah. And uh, his. Just say, you'd pay to see that, right? Yeah. You'd pay to see Confusion by Jacques Tati with Sparks, yeah? <laughs> and then sadly, like. This was, I guess, after his last film, and then he, you know, he got ill and didn't make any more. But there was a script, and like, there's a, there's a, you know, like a, you see a photo of them together. And I did actually, it's funny, I did make because there's a lot of animation in the film and lots of artwork to show things that there is no yeah. archive footage for. So there's a lot of animation within the thing. And one of the things I did quite late in the day was that we made like a fake Jacques Tati poster, a Monsieur Hulot film, no less. It was going to be Monsieur Hulot and Sparks. Can you imagine that? So it was going to be called Confusion. So we had an artist do like a, and it's in the movie, do a, a Monsieur Hulot and Sparks poster. And uh, we had to clear it with the Tati estate. And uh, it's in the movie. And then I thought, as a Christmas present for Ronald Russell, I would print the poster and send it to them. And then I thought, is this a good present to send? Or is this just a reminder of the thing that never was? But, you know, they loved it. But yeah, it's so, and then the nice part, so there were like failed film projects along the way, like in the documentary cover it, that for like a long period in the late 80s and early 90s, they essentially stopped being Sparks because they were gonna make a movie musical with Tim Burton. And you know, it was in Variety and yeah. you know, maybe even mentioned in film magazines at the time, um, as something that was in development, but it didn't come together. And you know, they'd sort of like, I guess put all their eggs in one basket that it was going to happen. So, you know, like, and when, when I first met them for that coffee, um, the first time I met them, they mentioned, Ron said, oh, well, you know, keep this under your hat because we might be doing like a musical with Leos Carrax. And I was like, oh, well, that sounds fucking amazing. You know, I'm a big Leos Carrax fan. I loved Holy Motors and I want to see that movie. And that was in 2015. Now, even as we were shooting this documentary, as we, 
started it. And I shot this documentary before Last Night in Soho. I shot the bulk of it. And weirdly, the only thing that I did after Last Night in Soho was we went on the set of Annette. Because during the production of Soho, we got the word that Annette was, this is was the actually happening. Which is the film that's opening can tomorrow, which stars Adam Driver and Marion Cotillard. And I, I've seen it, and I'm allowed to say, because they already let me tweet about it. It's, I mean, it, it's extraordinary. I, I mean, as somebody who's a fan of Leos, Carrick's and Sparks, it was like kind of all my Christmases come at once. <laughs> like, and also it's like Marion Cotillard and, uh, and Adam Driver singing like original like Sparks songs. It's kind of like an opera, basically. So I got to interview them on the set of the film, and you know, on a, 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 as, a, as a film fan, I was just happy that this film was happening. And on a selfish level, I was happy that my B plot in the documentary had a happy ending, yeah. <laughs> rather than it be like another film that didn't come together. So look, you mentioned uh, Last Night in Soho. Can we show the, uh, the trailer for Last Night in Soho? Is that sure. all right? Great, so this is the trailer for Last Night in Soho. So um, I've seen uh, Sparks Brothers twice. I haven't seen Last Night in Soho yet, so I have one question for you. Is it as good as that trailer suggests? <laughs> no, I can't say that. That's for other people. I are don't you, know. Are you pleased with it? I'm very pleased with it. I'm, it's funny. I've been sitting on that trailer for like we that, uh, nearly a year, like because we, you know, we had to go on hiatus, and uh, I was able. The one thing I was able to do during lockdown was like finish the Sparks Brothers. And then by kind of the weirdest thing is that like I had to like, I finished both movies on the same day. It was like the strangest, December the 21st, I had to kind of do a tech check on both movies. It's like 10.30 last night in Soho, 1.30 the Sparks Brothers. And so at the end of that day, I was like, that's a, that's a lot of movie. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I'm really happy with it. I'm excited for you to see it. So when will we see last night in Soho? When's it, it, when's it, it released? It comes out at the end of October. Okay, and Sparks Brothers out at the end of July. Yes. And it is definitely a cinema film, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I, I am really um, excited that it like, is getting a like, cinema release. And, uh, you know, and actually on the 29th, we're doing, um, uh, we're doing a Q&A for Sundance London where Ron and Russell... It's actually the first bit of press because of the pandemic. It's the first bit of press that I've done with them together. I've done like a million interviews with them, but all by Zoom. And so actually, like, on the 29th, we're going to be together on stage for the first time since... I made the movie, you know. Um, so yeah, I'm really excited for people to see it, especially over here, because obviously they have such a, a, a storied history with the UK. I want to show a clip from, and we, I mean, we've got a whole bunch of clips, but we've just talked and that's fine. Um, I want to show uh, a clip from Shaun of the Dead, because I think one of the things that it demonstrates is how much music and your love of music and the, the combination of music and humour has always been a part of what you've done. So this is a clip from Shaun of the Dead, 
which I think kind of sets the scene in a way for what you've done subsequently, you know, with Baby Driver and with uh, with the Sparks Brothers. Just indulge me in this because I just love this clip, okay? There's no good reason for showing it other than I really love it. Okay. I think it's got a good musical connection. Okay. Oh, hey, look at me. say if you love her let her go and I'm not going to bombard you with cliches but what I will say is this it's not the end of the world sorry we're closed <laughs> piss it white lines Visions, dreams of passion Flowing through my mind And all the while I think of you I... Oh, oh that's right, I think you had your tea <laughs> Something like a phenomenon Telling everybody to come along Cause white lies Blow away Blow <laughs> Ah, uh, get higher, baby. Ah, uh, get higher, baby. Ah, uh, get higher, girl. Ah! Dip it, 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 dip it. What's he doing? Just say bass or freeze. What a tip. <laughs> <laughs> So you were, I mean, pop music has always been part of your DNA, isn't it? Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's something that I, I, I feel like when I listen to music, it just conjures up images and stuff. It's funny, I did try to put a Sparks song into one of my movies before, actually. It was supposed to, I tried to use Sparks in Hot Fuzz, and it was a credit to Sparks, so they're not like, well, they, you can't put them on in the background. Like, once it's playing, you have to cut it. I tried to put this down big enough for the both of us in Hot Fuzz, and I found, maybe because I'm a fan, I found myself listening to the song and not watching the scene. I thought, like, okay, this is too, it's too diverting because they, you know, they demand your undivided attention. Of course, Sparks are famously in a terrible disaster movie. Roller coaster. Roller coaster. Has anyone seen Roller Coaster? Okay, don't sorry, yes. Rubbish, right? Incense Absol- around rubbish, but rubbish. And such a weird thing to have Sparks in it, but of course, but, it wasn't meant to be them. It was supposed to be Kiss. And then Kiss pulled out, I guess to do Kiss Meet the Phantom in the Park. <laughs> but it's like you go, we haven't got Kiss, who should we get? Let's get Sparks, because, like, they're just the same. <laughs> I mean, it's, it, it's such a weird thing. I remember seeing that movie in the cinema and just being really surprised that a band as odd as Sparks were in a movie as desperately ordinary as Roller Coaster. Well, it's funny you mentioned about the fictional band thing that some people watch the trailer saying, yeah, is this made up, is that... Adam Buxton in the documentary, he talks about the fact that his first experience of Sparks was roller coaster. So then when he heard them as a, a, a like a band later, he goes, oh, it's those guys from roller coaster. <laughs> and they, to him, they, they were the, the roller coaster band. Okay, I'm going to show one more clip from one of your movies, then I'm going to get you off stage. <laughs> we've got to get out, okay? I'm going to show a clip. You know how much I love Hot Fuzz. Hot Fuzz is probably the most quoted film in our house, okay? This is a clip from Hot Fuzz, which, again, I'm just going to show because I think it's funny, but also I want you to tell me who the guy behind the counter is in this. Okay, here we go. Actually, Nicholas, you might as well take a break. Hey, great. I've got something to show you. This is a rifle range. You'd be really good at it. Feeling lucky, Sergeant? 
Three cans wins you the squeaky bunny. Five cans gets you the floppy lion. Take out all the little people, you get to waltz off with the cuddly monkey. I thought I made it clear to you how I feel about firearms. It's only an air rifle. <laughs> Sergeant. <laughs> Dear Lord, that was amazing. <laughs> I believe I shot someone. He's a doctor, he can deal with it. I never shot anyone before. Danny, believe me, it's not something you ever get used to. No. Maybe we should go on the bouncy castle, take our minds off of it. <laughs> well, who's behind the counter? Yeah. Stuart Wilson. Okay, who is? Well, the, I tell you what the casting idea was something that Hot Fuzz was, is that I tried to cast lots of people in the kind of the baddies role, spoiler alert if you haven't seen it, who'd all been villains in like Hollywood movies. And Stuart Wilson had been a baddie in Lethal Weapon 3 and No Escape. Obviously, Timothy Dalton had been like a baddie in like The Rocketeer, obviously Bond as well. But then Paul Freeman, the Vickers, like Belloc in The Raiders of the Lost Ark. Billy Whitelaw was uh, Mrs. Baylock in The Omen. There's a few other ones I'm forgetting, but that was basically the idea. It's still funny. After It doesn't matter how many times I watch that, Edgar, it's still funny. And honestly, you've brought more laughter into my house with, with, the, with some of your films than, you know, than many other things. Uh, Sparks Brothers opens on July 29th or July 30th? July 29th is the, is the uh, previews across the country with the <coughs> Q&A with me and Ron and Russell, and then it opens on the 30th. Okay, and then last night in Soho, people can October see... October the 29th. Please join me in thanking the great Edgar Wright. Thank you. Thank you, Edgar. I should point out that the reason I'm not... You know, usually I've done all the other shows in a suit. And the reason I'm not wearing my suit, and this is true, is uh, many of you may have found this. Uh, I've been doing the news channel, you know, film review, in which you can see me from the waist up, which I'm wearing the jacket. But obviously I had 18 months in which I didn't put the suit trousers on. Uh, they, they've shrunk. <laughs> I mean, that's li I can't get them on. <laughs> so anyway, so uh, look, thanks ever so much, everybody, for coming. It's, it's such a pleasure to be back here uh, after all this time. And, uh, you know, I hope that as things ease up, uh, you know, slowly, gradually, we can continue to fill out the size of the crowd. But uh, let's, uh, let's do some things. Firstly, thank you to everyone at the BFI for making this possible. Uh, Thank you to Hedda and Nick for putting the show on. Thanks to all of you for obeying all the protocols, which has been really great. Thank you very much, because obviously doing all that is really important. And as I said, Wright said Fred are not scientists. They are idiots. And uh, I think as you leave, do so in an orderly, socially distanced fashion. Uh, thank you very much. And uh, please join me in thanking our two fabulous guests, uh, Eter O'Brien and Edgar Wright. And now, as they say at the end of the Oscars, I am Dorothy Chandler. Get the hell out of my pavilion.
Well, there we are. That was my interview with Edgar Wright talking about his new Sparks documentary, The Sparks Brothers, and his forthcoming film, Last Night in Soho. And if you missed my conversation with Ita O'Brien, don't worry. You can still find it and download it from the Kermode on Film archive. Thanks so much for listening to this Kermode on Film podcast. If you've enjoyed it, remember to subscribe, tell your friends, check out our Patreon page, which has loads of video extras. Maybe have a look at the BFI South Bank website for tickets for the future live MK3D event. Take care, stay safe, keep watching the skies. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com.